Happy September, Kyle. Happy September, although in our defense, it's almost October. <laughs> yeah, we can see October from here. It's only a couple of days away. So we're a little late in getting this episode up, but it's because we've had a busy September and a busy fall it, here absolutely. at CMAA, for sure. Absolutely. Our leadership <laughs> legislative conference was earlier this month in Charlotte, and that was a great event. Um, and we've had a governance uh, club leadership summit in Charlotte again this week. Charlotte's a popular place. Lots of BMI programs going on. Uh, BMI club management, which I got to visit earlier this week in Atlanta. BMI so, food and wine. Yes. So wine and food. Very busy. October, I think it's going to be just as crammed oh, packed yes. with stuff because <laughs> we have the mid management conference in New Orleans. New Orleans. And then we're then, coming up on your yes. student conference. We roll. We, we head on up to uh, Westchester County in New York at yep. the end of October. Happy Halloween. We're starting a conference on Halloween. So awesome. shenanigans will abound, I'm sure, of the best variety. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be, we're gonna, we have a busy fall. We, and I feel like we always have a busy fall, but this year feels particularly busy. Um, we're just go, go, go. And not to mention we are already in full swing of planning world conference. Absolutely. That's right around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. Look for a, for an announcement mid October. So soon, uh, a lot of stuff coming up. So we're very excited about this edition because we are going to talk about creating your club's culture. Yes. And that's one of those workplace words that I think is, is such like a buzzword right now is culture. (laughs) Uh, But I think for clubs, that tone has been around for a long time and it's been a, um, a conversation of what is your club's culture. And so we're very excited to have Michael Wheeler in CMCCE, who explored this topic in his Master Club Manager monograph, um, his MCM monograph, uh, to tell us more about why that's important and how to build your own legacy in the culture of your club. Cool. And then we're going to chat with uh, John Porter, who is the president of the Clubs Bond Fitness Association. He's currently on their board of directors. Um, And we're going to talk to him about the benefits of uh, CSFA, um, the association itself, the benefits that it has to CMAA members, as well um, as, you know, their our members' staff who work in the spa, wellness, and fitness spaces um, at their clubs. So we're looking forward to that conversation. And then our idea fair conversation today um, is on membership development and how to kick off a great relationship with your members through orientation and through different methods of contact and outreach to potential members. So looking forward to that conversation as well. Absolutely. So let's dive in. Michael Wheeler, MCM CCE, is the General Manager, Chief Operating Officer of Cherokee Town and Country Club in Atlanta, Georgia. He earned his Master Club Manager designation in 2014. His full MCM monograph is entitled, Club Culture, Are You Practicing What You Believe In? We're pleased to welcome Michael to the show. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your history in the industry? I kind of got in this industry by mistake, of all things. <laughs> um, my undergraduate degree was uh, in psychology, and I didn't want to be a psychiatrist, even though that's a big part of what we do on a regular basis is dealing with people. <clears throat> but I got into this business through the game of golf. I picked up the game of golf when I was in sixth grade in a northern uh, Maine uh, Air Force base called Loring. 
And um, I met the officers club manager at Loring Air Force Base uh, when I was in sixth grade because uh, the back tee box, the first tee box, was my back door. And I played in the club championship, uh, uh, base championship that year, and uh, placed the third low net. And so I got to meet him. And lo and behold, after I graduated from college, he ran into my father. Uh, it was Roy Camp, and he was the general manager at Army-Navy Country Club. And he ran into my dad and said, hey, what's your son doing? He said, well, he's running a restaurant here in town. And he said, well, I didn't know he was in the business. Why don't you have him come uh, come to the grill, bring his resume, and we'll have, uh, have lunch in the grill. We'll talk. And so I did that. He came back from conference after that lunch uh, with uh, Ralph Pekka's name at Lakewood Country Club. He was looking for an assistant manager. I was bored stiff after 10 months in the restaurant, um, look, looking for something else to do. Um, knew something else was beyond was just being a key, co- uh, key holder and just being uh, an operator, and I wanted something more. And so uh, Ralph was uh, uh, matched my salary, paid my benefits, and I was off and running in the club business. And uh, so I kind of stumbled into it, wasn't really looking for it, but an old, an old friend of my father's uh, who I'd met in sixth grade is how I got in the club business. It's all, it's all about, about those connections. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. It took the words right out of my mouth. It's all about connections, even when you don't expect it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I got in there, you know, the, the, the best story about that was that uh, I was kind of lulled to sleep in the restaurant after 10 months. I wasn't willing to give what's necessary to be successful in the business. Um, and Ralph fired me in five months. And uh, I deserved every bit of it, but you couldn't tell me that at the time, Frank. Uh, I blamed I blamed Ralph for everything went wrong for my life for six months, and finally came to fruition that there was this is my fault, and I did this. Um, and um, you know, we he and I have since uh, had this conversation in the past that uh, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for him and what he did to me and, and what he did for me. And he did it for the right reasons, and I needed it. Um, and uh, that really was the wake-up call for me. Um, and my, my in-laws were funny because I'd been married for a year and I've had three jobs. They're looking at me saying, uh, who did my uh, my daughter marry? <laughs> Unbelievable. He's not going to make a hill of beans or nothing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's true. I mean, that's, uh, everybody has to look uh, look themselves in the, in the mirror and know full well that uh, cause and effect is, is most of the time it's, it's what happens that you do. It's not what people uh, um push onto you or thing that happened to you without a cause. And so it was all my fault. Deserved it. Take ownership. That's important. So we wanted to chat today about uh, club culture. And since that was the focus of your MCM monograph, do you want to talk to us a little bit about, you know, what inspired you to choose club culture um, for the, you know, for your topic, for your monograph? I mean, you mentioned earlier about, you know, studying psychology and being in the people business and understanding people. And so much of that is wrapped up in the conversation of culture and building culture. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Certainly. And, um, I might have a little bit of uh, personal bias because of my undergrad degree in psychology, but uh, I truly believe that our number one asset walks on two feet. It's not the buildings, and it's not the land, it's not the golf course. <clears throat> I always wanted to do a monograph. Uh, senior staff uh, in CMAA was always encouraging me to say, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Kim Pasquale was always saying, come on, Wheeler, you're going to do this. you do this. And I said, well, when I find the right topic, I'll let you know. Because the one thing I really uh, believe in the monograph uh, process is, that, number one, you have to absolutely be passionate about it. Um, and I believe, uh, in addition to that, it has to be relevant to the club you're working for. 
so it can be put in use. And so having a little bit of pre, pre, uh, predisposition into the uh, psychological aspects of things, which really drive into the culture. Um, when I started at Cherokee, um, per the article in Club Management Magazine, I um, uh, did my own SWOT analysis. And Cherokee had such a long history of being uh, basically kind of creme de la creme, uh, platinum clubs and, and the votes and what have you. And John Jordan was an icon in the business. Um, knew for a while that it, it's a lot of, there's a lot of right going on here. Mm-hmm. But I knew for a while that there's got to be an opportunity for me to be relevant to the club and be true to myself. And and when I walked in the door and seeing some gaps right off the bat on the staff side of things, um, similar to what I wrote in the uh, in the article that uh, you know, John Jordan talked about the Cherokee standard, and um, it was never written down. It wasn't quantified. It was his only way of getting things done. And so there's a lot of staff that still work with uh, with John that was still at the club, um, and known for well that uh, ultimately we didn't have all of our employee practices weren't aligned to one common denominator of some given thing that was basically what glued everything together. And that really turned into be our core purpose, principles, and values that we use today. Um, <clears throat> and so as we were doing this, this started back in 2006 when I first started at the club. I spent a year understanding exactly what the club was all about and then slowly started trying to define what our core purpose was. And um, we were trying to do this on staff, and, uh, you know, it's not what we do for a living. It's, uh, it's a great exercise. It's fun. But I can tell you right now, with all the type A personalities I had in my senior staff, it wasn't, wasn't easy. No. Uh, everybody had their own ideologies of what, mm-hmm. they, <clears throat> what they thought was going to be right and be good and was meaningful to them and stuff like that. And um, it, So we struggled, and I ran into um, my, uh, my HR director, found a book called There's No Place Like Work, and it's the pun on There's No Place Like Home and The Wizard of Oz. It is, it's a template and a guideline of how you actually can, can identify your core purpose, principles, and values within an organization. It's written by Dr. Sheila Margolis. Um, she's a co-author, and uh, I read the book. I'm like, wow, this is kind of the template of how to do all this stuff. This is wonderful, and I, I read it, and it's fantastic. I turned the book over. And there's a phone number on the back of the book. I'm like, oh, take a chance and I call it. And I'm thinking we'll get a call center or something like that. And Sheila answers the phone. I'm like, well, okay, this is wow, different. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> and I tell her who I am. I, I tell her where I'm from. I tell her what we're trying to do. And um, I just read the book. And, you know, this is how I got on here. I said, uh, do you consult? She goes, yeah, it's one of my primary businesses is what I do besides uh, being a Ph.D. and an uh, author. I'm like, that's fantastic. What, where do you live? She says, I live in, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm like, yeah. really? That's Are you awesome. kidding me? So uh, I invited Sheila to come to the club and to meet the staff and start going through the process. So she started basically uh, applying the no, no Place Like Work uh, template uh, at Cherokee. We hosted um, a lot of meetings to kind of understand the, the questions that which she formulated. We had an open-ended questionnaire to my senior, uh, all my management staff, and about 18 influential hourly staff. And that really formulated a closed-ended survey that we send out to all my staff. And at the time frame, 246 people, I believe, took the survey. Wow. And they really started, uh, they were answering questions which were ultimately uh, designed to help define what our core purpose, principles, and values were. Um how we really got going forward at that point in time, we had two things that came out of the survey. Um, 
enhancing people's lives mm-hmm. or being in the happiness business were the two core purposes that were number one and number two. So in my senior staff meeting, and Sheila's giving us these results, uh, uh, the chef, uh, Kevin Walker, at the time frame, uh, said uh, he really thought enhancing people's lives was much more meaningful. It was richer. It, was, it had more depth to it. And, and, and for him, that was the bigger part. I chimed in and said, uh, it's got to be more simple than that. If everybody, if you leave anybody on the curb, we've lost. Mm-hmm. It's got to be simple for everybody to get it. Yep. And so then Chef said to, to Sheila, well, okay, my staff doesn't come in contact with the, the members on a regular basis outside of some pasta night downstairs. So how do I convey happiness to my staff, Sheila? Because I don't really understand that. And Sheila said, Chef, I understand your point. I got it. So you have a heart patient to triple bypass, um, and he's in your dining room. He um, he wants to have a New York strip of Bernays sauce. <laughs> now you tell me, Chef, you serve that Bernays sauce with that New York strip and serve that to him, are you enhancing his life or are you making him happy? Mm. And he said, uh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and so little things like that, we had leaps and bounds where that really coalesced the entire staff to understand the principles and the concept behind everything. Um, and so once we had the, our, our principal cards to develop, um, at Cherokee, then we started going into, um, little baby steps of how we can actually make it better. Um, being in the happiness business, I only want, I want to ask all my staff in any given time frame, walk up to them, what business are we in? I wanted one answer and I wanted the happiness business. And several of my senior staff are still kind of not all on board with that, and they thought that was a little hokey, but uh, nonetheless, it worked. And so a little baby stops done about three or four months. There's nobody who can be answering the question other than being in the happiness business, and then we're off and running. We then started looking at the, the all of the parameters around a uh, uh, life cycle of an employee, and uh, we started making sure that all the things we do on a regular basis that go into that all are tied back to our principal uh, cards and our values. So from how we recruit to how we orientate to how we actually ask questions in our, our review process, our interview process, our job descriptions, how we appreciate our staffs, our staff, communication, how we communicate with our staff uh, internally and externally, uh, how we train, what do we do in our meetings, um, how we evaluate, and how uh, we actually do our employee surveys. All those things had to tie back to the singular parts of uh, being in the happiness, bu- happiness business and then tying eventually into um, the core principles and values. Um, so that journey started in 2006, defined in 2007 and eight, and uh, slowly but surely we started adding different layers of different things. Uh, how do you perpetuate you know, your culture? We like to tell Cherokee standard stories. And um, so when the Cherokee standard was defined uh, by the staff, um, we'd like to give examples. So when you have a new uh, staff person on board, they've already gone through orientation, they get their cards, they get told about the Cherokee standard and the principles in which we expect uh, their work to be really um, driving those, the work to be done by. Uh, we tell Cherokee standard stories in every lineup. We tell Cherokee standard stories at every meeting as it starts. Uh, as an example of somebody recently has done something that really upholds what we believe in, can you give an example, an illustrative example for it? Uh, my favorite example of that is um, a couple of years ago we had a, our annual meeting, and of course we closed down all the operations to host the annual meeting, and, and so we're, um, we're in the middle of uh, 
checking all the members in for the annual meeting, and my executive assistant is in that uh, line doing that, and she overhears a member coming in with a guest expecting to go to a formal dining space. And so she excuses herself from the uh, the line, and she goes to the approach of the member. She says, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't overhear, couldn't help but overhear the fact that you expected to go to the Williams room for dinner tonight. As you can tell, we have the annual meeting, and then Williams room is not open. Can I make a reservation for you somewhere else in Buckhead? How about the Capitol Grill? member agrees to that. She goes and makes the reservation, comes back with the uh, address and directions and, and a time frame where the reservation uh, was. After she finished her um, uh, duties and checking people in for the annual meeting, she took the uh, HR director and my tennis uh, director over to the Capitol Grill, um, and they had a cocktail. But they, her purpose was going over there was she went and met with the maitre d' and she says, you see that table of two over there? And she says, yes, they don't get a bill tonight. And she handed over her corporate American Express card. Oh, wow. And I, I don't even today know how much that bill was, and I really don't care. Um, it wasn't our fault that he came in with uh, a guest on the annual meeting. He didn't read the, the things, but it doesn't really matter. Right. I think we have a member for life because of that example, and that's uh, what we expect uh, from our, our staff to do on a regular basis. Um, and those illustrative examples like that make things – you remember things um, when you have the illustrative examples of that nature. So uh, that's how we perpetuate the culture. Um, and, uh, again, we tie it all back to what we have, being in the happiness business, and our core principles are that we anticipate the needs and exceed expectations for the sense of urgency. We consistently de- deliver superior experiences. We pay attention to details, and we have heartfelt and caring respect for all. Um, those have stood now a decade of time. Um, we've been challenged from time to time with somebody who thinks that uh, something else should be added. You know, most recently, somebody who's a Ritz Carlton former employee thought ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen should be included in the cards. And I said, well, let's talk about that. So when you mention the uh, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about what phraseology, what is that kind of mm-hmm. setting the table for? Um is it not being very respectful because you're talking about a lady and a gentleman? That's a, that's the staff person serving a lady and a gentleman. You're being respectful as well. It's not saying uh, a dude and a chick. It's uh, it's being respectful, is it not? And the answer was yes. I said, well, we have respect on our cards. Uh, it's serving ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. So I believe when we uh, anticipate uh, needs and exceed expectations with a sense of urgency and consistently deliver experience, uh, experiences, I believe it's doing what serving is really intended to be. So if you open your mind up to the words, the words don't have to emulate the Ritz-Carlton because that's their motto. That's not ours. But I believe our principles really embrace the intention of what the Ritz-Carlton has. Um, And that person walked away going, yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about that. and I will never say never that the principal cards will never change, but in that given instance, uh, it, just, uh, it was a great interchange that somebody was challenging uh, something and saying, I'd like to uh, talk, talk about what I think it should be, uh, when it really is already that. And right. Just opening up one's mind and listening to the words and the meaning and saying, I think it's really epical. I think it's there. It doesn't say it exactly that way, but I think it's embraced. I think, I think we got it. <laughs> um, to that effect, I mean, I know... Uh, here at headquarters, you know, we've worked on culture as well. Um, and it's, um, we had similar experiences. It takes a long time to kind of wrap your head around what those principles should be. Um, but I have a, my question is like how, you know, what kind of challenges perhaps did you run into in 
um, creating sort of buy-in across the board for staff. Because I know that that can be a big hurdle when you're uh, creating, you know, what these cultural standards should be. Um, And I really like the way that you talked about doing the the different surveys um, to kind of gauge what truly everyone's priorities are. Um, But I'm assuming that there, you know, there probably were some challenges to that process. Can you talk a little bit about creating buy-in? Absolutely. So to your point, uh, one of the parts that started off in a really good way was the fact that this was not top down. Mm-hmm. So the, the philosophy of how to, to derive this really came from the bottom up. There was some guidance obviously given from the senior management and Sheila and myself, but it was ultimately answered in volumes in the surveys from them. So number one, they had a, they had a say into what this was. And so they, had, they were predispositioned to want to embrace it to start off with. Uh, but even after that, um, you know, there were there were challenges. But how we got over those challenges in a, in a very macro way is uh, if you tell them the why. You know, um, I don't always have to agree with uh, what somebody says as long as I understand the why. You know, if I understand the why and I get the explanation and also have the common uh, clarity of roles, goals, and expectations mm-hmm. – the why explains everything, and so when you when you really explain the why, you get buy-in because at least you have you know what the philosophy is to support it. And if you even agree with the goal, and there's multiple ways to get to the goal sometimes, and so it's not always that we have to always have uh, universal challenges to the path we take. As long as we understand, for well, mm-hmm. will this get us to the goal? Will this get us to the goal? Because we've already, already agreed upon the goal. So as long as we can do it through the principles and be grounded with that, and we know the why and the wherefore, um, some of those challenges almost get uh, um, the guard goes down, mm-hmm. and they start being accepting of it because they they're engaged in a, in a two way conversation to make sure they understand the why. And I think the why is one of the most important things that uh, uh, any organization could be getting into because if you understand the principle of the why. It's hard to argue mm-hmm. where you're going to go. Absolutely. And I'm curious then, too, as you've you know sort of defined the culture at Cherokee for your staff, how is that culture then permeated outward for your members? <clears throat> um, interesting enough, uh, I write it all the time in, in Cherokee life. So mm-hmm. my articles, I write things. I don't write an article every single month in Cherokee Life because I don't want to write about stuff that you can find on page 16. <laughs> I write about stuff that really is what's on my desk and what does a member need to know what's going on and in a strategic way, in a directional way, what's happening so I can get them to understand, buy into the philosophy of the why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just the same, I just talked about the staff buying into it, get the members to buy into it too. I write about it in Cherokee Life. We, I, I have my my board members are card carrying Cherokee standards uh, card carriers. Uh, I have them raise their right hand and says, you know, okay, you'll keep this on your body as long as you're on the board, and then even afterwards. And so they carry the cards just like our staff is expected to carry cards on their body uh, from there. So they've become enculturated, I like to say, <laughs> uh, to that entire part. We went through a strategic planning exercise in 2015, and part of that, we reaffirmed our mission vision, um, and um, we then wanted to define the Cherokee standard from the member's point of view, which I, my eyebrows went up when that, came, that the question came up. I'm like, wow, this is cool. 
What's even more cool about the idea is they want to define the Cherokee Synod um, for themselves from the members' perspective is how eerily similar the Cherokee standard that we have developed as a staff uh, 10 years before was exactly what the, the members said it was to them. And that is an affirmation of what we believe the Cherokee standard really is. When the members come back 10 years later and they redefine it for themselves, almost identically in the same words in which the staff did it, did it for themselves a decade before. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it also shows you that your staff is doing a great job of upholding that standard. And it's just become accepted as the norm. That's what it is. You know, we believe in the same things. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the one thing I took away from it. Yeah. You know, and, um, it's kind of nice because very neat, very neat. I love that. I love that. So the last question we have for you, um, this is going to go back to your recent article for Club Management Magazine. You talk about legacy. Um, so what advice would you, you know, give to our younger managers about creating your own legacy? How would you set that up for them? Well, it's uh, it's creating their own legacy and um, career management, I think, are kind of the two and the same things. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk to my uh, my younger managers here or even the uh, uh, um, assistant managers or the, even the uh, <clears throat> the interns, um, it's all the same stuff. So when I read somebody's resume, uh, I, I'd like to know more about what impact they had on their operation than I'd like to know about the operation itself. So mm-hmm. if you have a paragraph to be written, I don't want to know more about the operation than I knew, well, what impact did you make? What difference did you make? Mm-hmm. Would you uh, innovate? Would you streamline? What programs did you start? And all those different accomplishments and things. Um, it's how people want to live their life uh, and how they want to be remembered. Um, and ultimately, you should be doing all those things on a regular basis all the time. But as a young assistant, uh, you, you be a sponge. Yep. You know, be a, a lot of times you will you'll change direction. You might change clubs. You might change uh, career paths. Ultimately, so this is not so much a, uh, an advice for a club manager's career path. This is just advice in general. Hmm. You may change jobs six times in your lifetime. In your lifetime, and especially nowadays, I think it's more expected uh, for younger individuals until they find exactly what they like to do and they do well is uh, make sure, number one, your current employer is really happy with you. <laughs> yes. uh, volunteer stuff. Volunteer to do things more so than your job says, um, even if you're not going to get any credit for it. Because ultimately, and this is not just in the club business, but you have to pull from your experiences of life. And everything that happens in life, you'll be able to apply that. And if you are uh, a sponge and you're constantly challenging things and you're constantly doing stuff uh, beyond what your current job is, um, you're more valuable to your employer today. You're going to be much more valuable to your future employers because of that experience you have. Um, in a club business, you have golf, tennis, fitness, accounting, food and beverage, uh, 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 board dynamics. You go on and on and on. There's a lots of different things you have to have uh, the grasp of. Um, and the only way to do that and have that to, uh, in today's day and age is through your experiences of time and volunteering and doing stuff. When I was working for Roy Camp at Army Navy, uh, I was working at the Fairfax campus, and at the time frame, we didn't have the full-blown uh, clubhouse it does today. And so at nighttime, I went to the Arlington campus, and I put on a chef's coat, and I was behind the line in the uh, in the formal dining space. Roy walked I didn't ask Roy. He walks by. He sees me. He says, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm working with, working with chefs. You know, wasn't my job, wasn't my campus, wasn't anything else like that, but I was a sponge. I wanted to learn. I wanted to do something different. And so... 
it was beyond the time I could have been home with my wife, but I didn't choose to do that. I, I chose to, to learn something different, and um, I, spent, I spent plenty of time with my wife. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, but that given time frame, it was one of those – I was young. Yeah. I was aspirational. I was hungry, and I wanted to prove, and I wanted to learn more of what I didn't understand. Um, and how better way to be valuable about that? So when you do that, first and foremost, you become more valuable for your employer. Yeah. Um, a legacy uh, is maybe more of a, a longer-term thing when you get to further on your, in your career and you can leave a bigger footprint uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on the organization. But I think if you start with the uh, aspects of being hung, hungry, young, aspirational, a sponge, uh, willing to do anything and, and not wanting credit for it, it'll, it'll all come back to you yeah. in spades in the future. We just can't be thinking about the payback today because uh, the payback today is, is if you're looking for the long run um, – you're not really in the right mindset if you're looking for the payback today because the, the bigger, most most important things you'll find in life, you're not going to get back today, but you'll you'll get it in the future if you have all the right uh, right mentality about how you approach it all. Absolutely. I love that. I think being, being a sponge is like 100% what, how I try to approach things. You know, it's like always be learning, always be learning because at any given point in time, you can learn from someone, whether it's your your superior or, you know, someone who works for you or someone you work with closely. So, I mean, I think, I think that's fantastic advice. If you stop learning, you're going to go one way. Exactly. (laughs) Don Porter is the director of fitness at Army Navy Country Club in Arlington, Virginia, and currently serves as the president of the Club, Spa, and Fitness Association, a CMA subsidiary. John, thank you so much for being here with us today. Why don't thank we you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Why don't we start with kind of talking about the growth of the fitness and wellness industry in the club industry? Sure. I mean, that's been something we've been watching for a few years now, and uh, it kind of parallels the growth of the CSFA, as a matter of fact, because as the industry began to see more happening in wellness and fitness, the need for an association like ours came into being. A lot of clubs like mine uh, started with fitness, you know, quite some time back, but often on a very small scale. Like at my, at my club, for instance, back in the 90s, there was a lot of back and forth for a few years about, you know, should we even bother to do this? Mm-hmm. Then they found like the, you know, the tiniest room they could find in the basement of the clubhouse. <laughs> Here's this closet. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, the fitness closet. And they, they stuck in some machines and they called it a fitness center. And um, that lasted for a handful of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I'm, I'm telling my story, but really I think it's fairly true for a lot of clubs. They start small. It's never quite enough, but it kind of proves the need at first. And then about 20 years ago at my club, um, they were renovating the the aquatics facility and they built a fitness center on top of it, which is where I'm sitting right now. And that's sort of been the the case across the board, I think. Um, Clubs start off, they're not sure, they add it in, it's popular, they grow it. And then from there, you grow in all directions. You know, you've got fitness, you've got a place to work out, but maybe now you also want to have massage. Mm-hmm. So you add a massage table, and that might be in its own room. My favorite place, but my favorite story to tell in this regard is members love to go to their club for services, to even to the extent that at Baltimore Country Club, they don't have a massage studio. They set up screens in the group exercise studio and have massages given there when they're not having classes. Um, that's how great the need is for what, you know, what fitness and spa and wellness can bring to the clubs. Um, so we grow from there. We have massage. Maybe we go from there to facials and other aesthetic treatments. Um, 
then we add uh, perhaps physical therapy, which is what we've done here as well. So it's just been you know across the board and across the country. I think you know Florida clubs, because of their situation of being in you know in residential communities where they had kind of a captive audience, have really led the way for a lot of us. Um, they, they were sort of the proof of concept, like yeah, you know if you build it, they will come because they just keep building it and they keep coming. So that's where we are now. Is for it's, it's at this point where we're seeing things like golf, maybe kind of you know topping out or maybe losing a little bit of rounds over the years, but fitness continues to grow. We have you know, classes and other services, and it's uh, it's a great time to be in club wellness. For sure. Well, I think the growth in the fitness and wellness space within clubs sort of mirrors the growth in fitness and wellness outside of clubs as well. I mean, I think it's very on trend right now. Everyone has like a new fitness plan and a new gym to join mm-hmm. and whatever. So, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of permeates the, the society and yes. the culture just on a broad spectrum. Um, so flowing from that conversation, then, you know, what are the origins of the club spa and fitness association? Like, what is it? Where did it come from? When did it start? Give us, give us the skinny on that. So it started about 12 years ago in Florida. Um, a lot of times fitness directors just make local acquaintances of other fitness directors in their area and get together to just exchange ideas and talk and, and ask questions and so forth. And this was happening in Florida, and a bunch of folks got together and said, we should make this an association. And they got some help from CMAA back then as well to actually form an association, Club Spawn Fitness Association, which was run exclusively by volunteers for about the first eight or nine years, I guess, of the association, which I think is daunting. I was smart enough to come in after they began hiring a management company. <laughs> <laughs> well played. And then about two years ago, uh, we contracted with this organization called, um, well, at that time it was called the Club Managers Association of America. I think they've changed their name since then, <laughs> the Club Management Association. Um, and they began managing us. And then uh, just about a year ago, we actually became a subsidiary. So it's been a, a lot of growth, again, starting in Florida with, you know, obviously a Florida membership over time, um, we've grown to be in, I think it's 20 some states and we're still growing, you know, looking, just getting the word out still, um, you know, the plan is to be truly a national association so we can gather data and provide help and communication, you know, across the whole country in fitness and wellness. Absolutely. Well, and we're very happy to have CSFA on board with CMAA. I think it's really broadened, um, our access as well and our messaging mm-hmm. for sure. Well, I mean, I th- I think it's, you know, we take it as, you know, validation, mm-hmm. both of us as an association, but also of the need for us, of our growth, you know, of the growth of wellness in the industry. And that CMAA looked at us and said, yeah, this is a good fit. I mean, it makes us very happy indeed. <laughs> well, good. It's mutually <laughs> beneficial for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I want to make sure that we, we get to all of the benefits of CSFA and, and really understanding, um, you know, why, why we should have CMAA members, especially encouraging their, um, fitness directors, their spa directors, um, and the like to, to join the association, to join CSFA, you know, what are they going to get out of a membership? Um, you know, what kind of education are they going to have access to networking and things like that? So I, I kind of have this philosophy that, CSFA kind of works on three levels. At the top level, we take a step back. Um, we're about 
spreading the word about the growth of wellness in the industry and you know, making clubs understand this is where we're going, so you need to get on board with this. <laughs> and then at kind of the intermediate level, we're about helping our members run their fitness and spa operations better. And this is where a club manager should perk their ears up because, you know, why are we reinventing the wheel at all these different clubs when there's information we can share, ideas we have, you know, best practices mm-hmm. um, and research that we are doing now in conjunction with CMAA to let people know, you know, this is what's happening in the industry and this is how you can benefit from it. I always find it so much better to go into a situation where I'm being asked to justify a policy or a procedure or whatever when I can say, this is what the industry is doing, mm-hmm. you know, it's not Absolutely. just me. Um, you know, so, and then there, you know, so we provide that through a number of ways. We have a, a quarterly newsletter um, that really we try to give it a lot of takeaways. So when you read the newsletter, you walk away with some ideas, some information, you know, what's important to know. Um, you know, risk management is a thing that pops to my mind that we often do sessions and things on risk management because we want our members to be, you know, safe and mm-hmm. be protecting their clubs, obviously. So we, we have the newsletter. Recently, we began offering an e-blast in the months between newsletters, mm-hmm. which is short snippets of information. So now we have, that's um, our quick hits. So every month, there's a communication about what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the association. Um, we also have regional conferences, which we are settling into a pattern of four conferences a year. Mm-hmm. And the plan is to do one in conjunction with the CMAA World Expo early in the year, and we'll be there in February with a day of education you know, targeted to fitness and spa. And then we'll do uh, a spring conference somewhere. Uh, we do our summer conference typically in Florida, getting back to our roots, and also because we have a lot of members in Florida. That's kind of our national meeting. We bring our vendors in for a showcase mm-hmm. and all that. Another benefit of CMA membership, CSFA membership rather, is that we have a lot of you know very high-end vendors that have a lot of expertise that they share with our members on what's happening and can provide with products and services as well that can really enhance the club experience. We also have a fall conference. So the, the spring and fall meetings can kind of travel. That gives us the flexibility because we want to be in different parts of the country at different times. So we're not always here. We're not always there. So, for instance, we're having a fall conference in a couple of days up near Philadelphia. It's the first time in that area. So that opens up a whole new you know, region to us for potential membership. Um, so we have those, those hands-on things, and we get some really great speakers at these conferences as well. So I can't emphasize that enough. And I think CMAA has been very helpful in helping us get some really great speakers. And the other thing that we're like we're really working on now developing is on the more local level. I mentioned earlier how we came out of a group of fitness directors meeting locally. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something that's how I learned about CSFA was in, in I'm in the DC area, group of fitness directors meeting locally and someone mentioned CSFA. I had never heard of it. This is several years ago. Mm-hmm. I joined right away because it just made so much sense to me. Like I yeah, I want to be part of this because yeah. I saw the, the value in networking just locally. So imagine networking, you know, nationally with other people to even more information to share. So um, we have a we, we've kind of branded this as something we call just lunch now, where we encourage members to host events at their club. Other fitness directors can come in. Other CMAA members can also come in, um, have lunch. Maybe there's a speaker. Maybe it's just a conversation about what what are you doing at your club? What, what are we doing at our club? Whatever else. But you know, I think that's where there's also a huge amount of value because you know, a lot of little local interactions, that's where we can really reach out you know, across the country. We can't hold a major conference everywhere, but we can have a lunch someplace, you know, right. get people Keep together and talk about the industry. Yeah, yeah for absolutely. sure. For sure. And I think um, one of the biggest benefits for CMAA members with, you know, having taken on CSFA as a subsidiary is that 
you know, we are encouraging our CMAA members to also attend some of these CSFA events because the education credits count towards CMI oh, yeah. education credits. And that, you know, is a, as vice versa. You know, we also would encourage CSFA members to attend some of CMAA's events. If there's something, you know, regional or local to you that you want to go to and you're interested in, by all means, you know, check it out. We, you know, we want to make sure that this is tit for tat, you know, everybody's yeah. getting a little oh, bit yeah. of something here and there's something to be learned, I don't know, from everyone, from all aspects. Um, one thing I know that we really wanted to mention with this conversation, uh, kind of going back to the membership aspect of CSFA, um, you know, we want to obviously encourage CMAA members to have their fitness spa and wellness directors join CSFA because there's a bevy of uh, benefits to that. But November 1st is a pretty good time to join CSFA. Is that correct? That is correct. We work on an annual uh, cycle, but you can kind of get in a couple months early for next year. So if you join, uh, if the fitness directors or spa directors join effective November 1st, they won't have to pay dues again until December of 2020. So they get 14 months for their 12 months dues payment. Excellent. I mean, it's it's, a good deal. It's a, it's a no brainer in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The th- you know, I, I mentioned earlier that there were kind of three levels that mm-hmm. we work on, the industry level, the club operation level. And then there's this third level, which is the individual level, where our members get education and networking and encouragement and support. Um, and that's, you know, this may not be what the club managers care the most about, but this is what I always <laughs> try to sell to the members, to the directors that I talk to, because... Um, I know people who, you know, have found great jobs through our CSFA job bank. Um, I can tell you, the people that I met through CSFA have given me so much inspiration and encouragement and really gave me a, a, a fresh breath, you know, in my career to just go out and you know, do more and try to make, make my club even better. So if your fitness directors are going to join, they will get that same enthusiasm. And you want that. You want enthusiasm in this, in this field. So, um, you don't, get in, you don't get in this field unless you have a passion for fitness and, and for wellness, and CSFA just helps fuel that passion. I would wholeheartedly agree, and I actually think that our the CMAA members would probably say the same thing. I mean, we always talk about we're in the people business, right, and those interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships are so valuable, whether it's an opportunity to learn from someone new or, as you said, just having that camaraderie and knowing that someone else somewhere else is experiencing the same things you are it might have a different perspective for you to learn from. I mean, it's invaluable. Um, so I think that's a great point that that interpersonal uh, connection piece is a huge benefit of membership with CSFA. Yeah. Okay. My last question, and this is just off the top of my head, but I was thinking about it. Um, what do you see as sort of like the biggest trend in fitness right now? You know, I, that's a tough question. <laughs> there's always, there's all, there's, there's all these surveys, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, uh, you know, in commercial fitness, there's so many boutiques now where people are getting just, they're drilling down to such individual tastes and things. And that's probably the biggest, you know, overall trend is a lot of little trends. Right. You know? Yep. Um, you know, at, at my club, the thing that's really taken off lately though is, is yoga, which, um, relates to the boutiques because there are a lot of yoga studios out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm kind of a big yoga guy myself at this point. (laughs) And, um, 
so we, we've had a lot of success with yoga at our club. Um, small group training is also very big in fitness now. Of course, all the functional stuff has been big for a while, the high intensity stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just, so it just comes down to so many choices and, you know, finding the right fit for the, for the individual client or the individual member. Um, but, you know, and that's one of the things CSFA is out there to help you do is figure that out. Yeah, oh, I can imagine that's like a perennial yeah. challenge, I think, for any club yeah. is sort yeah. of trying to navigate, you know, like you said, like the trend right now is so many of these niche fitness activities. Okay, so then which ones are the best for us yeah. to employ at yeah. our club and how do we want to create the space and time to to do that and provide those for our members? I think that's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can't be everything to everyone, but you just need to do your best. Exactly. Exactly. Just provide what you can and listen and see what you can improve always. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that wraps us up. I don't have any other questions unless Melissa came up with something while we were chatting. I'm good. You guys covered it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, John, thank you again so much for joining us. We love to have you and we look forward to having you on again, probably. It's my pleasure. Now on to our announcements portion. It is time to renew your CMA membership for 2020. We've expanded our member communities and resources and even more is planned for 2020. The 2020 national renewal requests have hit the mail, so please um, grab your notice and submit it back if you're paying via check. If you prefer to renew online, you can get started now at cma.org through our online renewal service. You just need to have your email address and password ready. Don't forget that all current memberships expire on October 31st. And so don't wait. Yeah, don't wait. And it's important to remember as well, even if you joined just a few months ago, your membership will end on October 31st. So if you paid a prorated dues amount, if you joined mid-year, we're excited to have you. We want to keep you around. So make sure you log in online and pay those dues. I'm speaking especially to our students Get on board, pay your dues, because you can't register for student conference or world conference if you're not a current member. Absolutely. It is also time to state your interest for to be a 2020 National Committee volunteer. As a membership organization, we are governed by our members to serve you. And our committees are an important part of that leadership structure and vital to its success. You lend your expertise to the issues, programs, and governance that keep the association current and strategic in serving members, the profession, and the industry at large. Kyle and I are blessed to work with some amazing folks on our committees. I work with the Advocacy and and the Communications Committee. And I've had the pleasure of working with the Communications Committee, the Chapter Relations Committee, and the Membership Committee. And as Melissa said, you know, we work with a very dedicated group of club management professionals who care deeply about the direction of this organization and how it can continue to serve club management professionals across the broad spectrum um, of which our industry is made up. So, you know, please, if you're interested in volunteering, taking time to shape the direction of this association, submit your interest. Absolutely. So just stop by cma.org and click the link. Uh, There you'll find out about the committee guidelines as well as the opportunity to to fill out the online interest form. And you can find that in this week's Outlook as well as on the homepage. But if you do have any questions, please reach out to us at HQ. We're happy to help you. Absolutely. 
We hope that you have already joined the conversation on CMA Connect. We are so excited for the next evolution of our member communities. CMA Connect is a private professional networking community for CMA where members can find a network of their peers at their fingertips, a complete directory of colleagues, and their communities of interest based on commonalities. Just last week, we had our first Asked the Expert um, featuring uh, Frank Lucas from RSM, who mm -hmm. talked about non-member income and the IRS. We had a lot of questions on that. Um, that's on our best practices community, and that's open to everybody. So if you're looking to tap into the wisdom of the crowd, that is the place to, to, to post your question. So you can learn more at connect.cma.org today. And again, and you just use your same CMA same credentials. Username. <laughs> Single sign on. Single sign on. Make we're making it as easy as possible to be part of the community. Yep, and you'll find you'll get to connect with that community as well if you are attending a BMI program. Mm -hmm. um, if you're on we a committee, are utilizing that as well. We use that. We're going to be using that platform for a lot of different groups. So um, as Melissa said, if you're attending a BMI, if you are on a committee, we will be using the Connect platform to more easily distribute information and get the group together on a regular basis. Um, we have a, a YoPro community that just launched. And that, again, um, while our YoPro group is for members who are 40 and under, uh, that group is open to everyone because we feel that you know anyone can learn from their peers. So if, even if you just want to lurk, if you're an old pro and you want to lurk, head on in there, get the conversation started, share information with your peers, get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, we're really excited for this platform and we think it will bring great things for the future. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, of course. Great. Okay. Well, um, I'm joined by Ricky Potts, who's the membership director at the Fountain Grove Club in Santa Rosa, California. And we are going to chat today a little bit about his role as membership director, some of the things he's tasked with, obviously membership recruitment and retention, um, and then a little bit about some of the strategies that he's using to source leads and chat with members. So, Ricky, welcome. <laughs> um, let's start Thank off. Thank you very much. Yeah. Very excited to be here. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Um, let's start off. Can you tell us a little bit about the club? Of course. So in 2017, Santa Rosa was hit with the Tubbs fire, and it destroyed the majority of the area here in Fountain Grove. Mm -hmm. um, we lost our clubhouse. We lost maintenance building, cart barn, all of our golf carts, trees all over the property, bunkers, you name it. Our athletic center was saved in the fire, and we are literally rising from the ashes. Uh, I've been on property since March of this year. I was brought on board when Troon started managing the operations coming from a property in Naples, Florida. Mm -hmm. And every day we're seeing progress at this club, and our members are excited about the future. We're starting to showcase some artwork from Bar Architects, who has been hired to design our new clubhouse. And every day it just feels better and better as we're making that progress. And the membership growth has been quite large since I've been on property to the point we've even hired a membership coordinator to be able to assist with that because of the number of leads that we have in our CRM. So it's a very positive thing and, and an exciting world to live in for sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it sounds like you guys are really just in a period of um, growth and rebuilding after that, that fire came through and kind of wiped everything out. So, um, 
you know, this this idea uh, we found on CMAA's Connect platform, which if you're not familiar with everyone listening, <laughs> you definitely need to go to check out because it's a great place for folks to come together and share ideas. And that's exactly what you did, Ricky. You, you brought up your role as a membership director and, you know, what you're doing in your membership committee meetings, which then kind of led to the question about, you know, how are you sourcing so many of these membership leads that you're talking about in your CRM? And you had mentioned a bunch of different strategies that you're using. You say, you know, club events, direct mail, email, things like that. But one thing that came up that was very interesting to us is this idea of a live chat function. Can you talk to us a little bit about what live chat means, what that is, um, where that idea came from? Of course. So as a consumer, I'm using live chat on an almost daily basis, whether I'm talking to Apple or AT&T or an airline, you name it. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't have a live chat to a lot of these bigger brands that may not, I utilize Twitter and direct messaging because I was just yesterday, I was having a conversation with Safeway, which is a grocery store here in Santa Rosa about an issue that I had had at one of their locations and they respond in a timely manner. And the live chat has been something that allows as a user, the ability to go on and get instant and immediate feedback from a brand. Mm -hmm. When I was in Naples in January of this year, I had wanted to, late last year, wanted to implement that at the club level. I had never seen it on any golf course website anywhere from Pebble Beach on down. I had never seen it implemented on any golf course website, so we Mm -hmm. added one. Uh, I did a little bit of due diligence, found one that was free to use and implemented that into the website. You can change the colors and branding a little bit so it fits. Utilized it at Tiburon Golf Club at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort in Naples from January through February, so just two months, Mm -hmm. and ended up generating over $40,000 in trackable revenue. So it was conversations with people, I'm interested in playing the golf course, where can I book tee times all the way through, I want to have an event with food and beverage for me and my 15 best friends. So in January and February, we tracked over a thousand conversations. I had a response rate of less than three minutes because if I'm not in front of my computer, it comes as a push notification to my mobile device. So cool. basically the way I like to say it is that if I'm awake, I'm responding. <laughs> so yeah. when I got to Fountain Grove, different animal here. We're a high-end private club, mm-hmm. member-owned, and I still saw a need for a live chat. So we implemented that here, not responding to as many messages, but Mm -hmm. responding to more specific targeted messages from our members and from guests that are coming to the website to learn more about the club. As of last night's board meeting, we actually had a board meeting that approved eight new golf members. One of those eight to join one that was approved last month have generated two membership sales that are generated roughly $36,000 in capital revenue for our club just from a live chat lead Hi, I'm John Doe. Tell me more Mm -hmm. about your club. That leads to an email conversation or a phone call that leads to a tour that leads through that whole membership sales process. Absolutely. I mean, I think you make a great point. I mean, those live chat functions on the websites of a number of different brands. I mean, you're right. I see them all the time and I use them a lot as a consumer because it's so simple. It's like advertising without advertising, you know, like you, you have that immediate connection with somebody you know, if you need a question answered, if you want more information or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, it's so easy to reach out to someone. Um, and I really like that, you know, we've, you've been able to kind of tweak it and, and play with it in this club space, because again, it sort of removes those barriers to 
to contact and communication. I think that's fantastic. Um, I would imagine then that the feedback from your staff has been probably pretty positive given the positive impact of what this function has done. It has been positive. And what's really interesting about the, the questions and the comments that come in, I was playing golf a couple of weeks ago and I was on hole 14. I don't know why I remember what hole I was on, but I was on hole 14. <laughs> I get a notification on my phone that says, hey, what's the passcode to the restroom on hole five? <laughs> because of the fact that we've lost a lot of buildings on property, that was one of the buildings that we lost. We have um, a code to get into the restrooms. Now, granted, this code is on the scorecard. It's in their golf cart. They can see it, but they didn't want to look there. They didn't think to look there. I responded within a matter of seconds, hey, thanks for the message. I got in. So that's exciting for me to be able to respond to something so minimal, but that person needed help and they needed help right now. And right. to be able to be accessible right. is just something that I really enjoy having the ability to have those relationships as a part of membership retention with our members. Yeah, definitely. I think it's probably two-pronged. I mean, you can work with with your existing members when they do need something right away, and that's just the easiest method of contacting someone. And then with potential members or people who've been guests of members who maybe then have further interest in joining the club, that's a, another very simple way for them to reach out and say, hey, I'm interested in starting this process. What do I need to do? Um, that's fantastic. That's a really innovative way to use technology that I think um, we probably aren't seeing a lot of in this club space. So that's very cool. Um, I would also say that if you're going to implement it, if you're going to implement it, make sure whoever's managing it has the mindset that if they're awake, they're working. Because I really feel that if someone says at five o'clock, I'm turning my phone off and I'm not going to respond to the person on the other end that's asking the question at 830 on a Tuesday, right. they're expecting in a live chat Correct. kind of conversation for an immediate response. So there does have to be a little give and take on the person managing mm -hmm. the live chat, but mm -hmm. it's something that I've just enjoyed doing because I, from a user, again, a user perspective, enjoy communicating with brands Absolutely. on that scale. Absolutely. Well, and I think that that's something to be considered too, if you're considering implementing something like this um, to your own website is, you know, when you set it up, setting any kind of parameters if you need parameters to accommodate people's work schedules, you know, and to set the expectation um, as to when someone could expect an immediate response and when they might have to wait a couple hours. But yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. Uh, is there any, are there any other strategies and tools aside from this that you are, have implemented or would like to implement in the future? In regards to our membership and marketing committee, which is going back to the connect Anyone, again, that's listening, I am loving the conversations and the networking happening there. And it's to the point to where I, on a daily basis, go look at the threads and, and try to think of things that I'd like to add on my own. And one of the things that our chief operating officer, Ron Banizak, asked three months ago says, hey, put together a presentation for your membership and marketing committee. I didn't know what that meant. He left my office, and <laughs> I decided to open PowerPoint and figure out what that meant. So by the time the next membership and marketing committee happened, we started the presentation with about a 45-minute to an hour membership and marketing recap of what we had accomplished for that month. I had put it into a PowerPoint. I had some videos and some slides and some stats of membership sales from this, this year, last year, the year prior, et cetera. And the committee was floored. They were blown away by this presentation. They had never seen anything like it. Over the last three months, we've enhanced that presentation. The last meeting, which was just a few days ago, 
we had about an hour and a half that we presented, and we were covering so many things that were accomplished in this department for the last month that the committee basically said when the presentation was over, all right, nothing else to talk about. <laughs> They've done a good job with it. And in addition to that, to supplement that on a weekly basis, I'm also sending our membership and marketing committee, as well as our chief operating officer, a weekly recap of what we've accomplished, a very quick and easy to digest bullet point list of how many leads we have, how many tours we gave, and exactly what we're working on, not to show that we're busy, to show that we are actually making progress to our goals of getting this club to a wait list. And the combination of those weekly recaps going to a single monthly presentation basically has the membership and marketing committee sitting there thinking, wow, <laughs> these guys know what they're doing and they're really focused on driving leads. And it's proven in one of the things that our chief operating officer likes us to track are the number of times we've made a contact with a member and a mm -hmm. potential member. And we report on that. And there is a direct correlation, the number of times that we touch a potential member to get them in for a tour and to get them through the process and the membership sales funnel, the more of those we have, the more memberships we sell. Right. It makes kind of sense, yep. right? Yep. The more times you have contact with someone. And we have gotten to the point to where we have, have figured that it's 64 touch points to generate a new golf member. Well, if in a week, when I got to property, we were averaging roughly 100 touches per week. Wow. Now we're averaging anywhere from 215 to 235 touches per week. We had eight members approved at the board of directors meeting in the month of September. That's a direct correlation to the number of times that we are actually out there communicating with our potential members. So all of this comes full circle that whenever I can sit down and send a recap on a Saturday afternoon before I leave the office and then at the end of the month report on what we've done as a department, it all translates into us growing in memberships. And because of that, our initiation fee has increased. We're generating more capital revenue, therefore more dues revenue. And one of the things that we like to say here at the Fountain Grove Club is that we are thriving because we are. Mm -hmm. And it's a really exciting thing to be able to see us rising from the ashes. And that's so cliche, but that's exactly what we've done yeah. as we progress and sell these memberships on a monthly basis. Absolutely. Well, it's a really impressive story of, of rebuilding and growth. I think that you guys are experiencing there. And um, I applaud you for, you know, thinking outside the box and applying something that, you know, might not be as familiar in this space to, to uh, an effective use. That's awesome. Um, I don't have any other questions. Uh, so I just want to say Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing more of your posts on connect <laughs> and, uh, and connecting in the future. Excellent. Thank you for the invite and anyone that's listening, feel free to go to the fountaingroveclub.com. My face pops up on the bottom right hand side, shoot me a note <laughs> and chances are good that I'm going to respond in a matter of seconds. And I would love to hear from some folks that are at home listening to this podcast because I'm a big fan and excited to share our story with everyone at home. Well, that wraps it up for us this month. Thank you so much for listening. What do we have? We on, yeah. What do we have on board for next month, Melissa? So next month, looking into October, we're going to be talking with Mark Beto about teamwork and integrated teams. Excellent. Is that it? We love hearing your <laughs> feedback and ideas for future episodes. So please, please reach out if you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest. We'd love to talk to you. Hit us up on Twitter, 
on Facebook or Instagram, shoot us an email. Remember, uh, we leave us leave us a comment. (laughs) Leave us a comment on our blog or on our SoundCloud or even if you want, and we'd really appreciate it. Leave a review on iTunes. You can find this uh, podcast on iTunes. Um, So rate, review, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes. But until next month, when we come back to talk about teamwork, I'm Kyle. And I'm Melissa. Thanks so much. Bye.